Have you ever been singing a song before and you thought you had the lyrics right, but you were with that friend who said, that's not how that song goes, it actually goes like this, and then you got in an argument over what the actual lyrics were to the song, but your entire life you thought you'd been singing it right? Used to, I don't know how we settled these disputes. I guess we referred to maybe album covers with lyrics inserted into them, but now we just pull out our phone and we fact check our friend to make sure that they're correct or to prove them wrong. And don't you hate it when you thought you had the song lyrics right to the song and your friend says, no, it actually goes this way, and then they look it up on the internet, which is the final authority apparently in all of our lives, and then they show you the lyrics of the song and you go, I never knew that song said that. I had no idea. I've been getting it wrong my entire life. A few examples. How many of you guys know um, ELO's song, Don't Bring Me Down? Anybody know that song? It says, don't bring me down. And then it says what? It's not Bruce. It's the word Groose. Did you know that? Fact check me on this. G-R-O-O-S-E. I looked, I looked this up because this is what I do during the week. And when, I, and when I looked it up, I saw that the word Bruce is actually a word they made up. G-R-O-O-S-E. It's not Bruce. It's don't bring me down Bruce. They said everyone says Bruce. They said we don't know who Bruce is. We've never said Bruce. The word is a word we made up just as a filler word, and it sounded silly and fun to us. So we sang don't bring me down Bruce. And you have all just been educated today. How about Toto, right? Anyone knows the, the song Africa? You heard that song? What does it say? It says, I miss the rains down in Africa. Everyone thinks it says, I miss the rains. It's I bless the rains down in Africa. My mind was blown when I read that one. I was like, no, that can't be right. And then I listened to the actual song and I was like, oh, they do say, I bless the rains down, which doesn't even make sense in my mind. Or how about sweet dreams are made of these? We always say it thinks it's the word these. It's actually the word this. Sweet dreams are made of this. My wife wouldn't believe me. We actually got in an argument over this one. Even after I showed her on the internet, she was like, no, I still don't believe it, but it's true. Sweet dreams are made of this, which doesn't rhyme with the next ending of the next Lyric. We've been singing it wrong our entire lives. How about Pearl Jam? Anybody listen to Pearl Jam at all? Maybe back in the 90s? No one knows what Eddie Vedder was saying anyway, so it really doesn't matter because the song even flows says, cornflakes or whatever. I have no idea what that guy was ever saying, but the actual correct way to sing even flow is actually great. So that's the actual lyrics. So in case you were wondering. And the idea is that we, we go through life and we do these things and we say these things that we think are the correct way to do it, but we've been getting it wrong this entire time. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we are entering into this presidential election season. Oh, really? That's happening? Yes, it is. And what I want us to make sure that we remember is that we are Christians and that when this idea of the church and the state begin to collide, we must understand our role. Because yes, I'm an American, and yes, I'm proud to be an American, and yes, I am uh, 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 glad that God has chosen that I be born in this country for this time, for this season, but we must remember we're Christian first. I'm Christian first, I'm American second, I'm Christian, and I need to remember that because I don't want us to go through our lives, especially during this season where we began to do something that we think is correct, 
and we think we're getting it right by what we're doing and how we're handling ourselves and how we're interacting with other people, but really we're getting it wrong. But we may be fooled into thinking that we're getting it right. I don't want us to be caught doing that. I want us to make sure we're being mature. I want us to make sure that we are being proper representatives of Jesus Christ. And there's a great way for us to go through Scripture to find out how we are to navigate times like this. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go through the book of 1 Peter. So that's where we're going to hang out. We're going to go verse by verse and walk through 1 Peter because in, first, in Peter's day, what we see happening is that there are Christian people who are in the middle of a very difficult political climate. You've got all sorts of pressures, external and internal. You've got people within the church that are causing pressure and issues, and you've got people outside of the church that are causing pressures and issues. And really what's happening in their climate is that society was trying to get everyone to bow to a certain way, to think a certain way, and all of this pressure was being put on people from the outside, and it eventually led to persecution where not only were people losing their jobs, not only were people losing their family and their, 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 their social circles, but then they began to actually lose their very lives. And this was kind of some of the beginnings of those types of persecutions that the church was facing as a result of following Jesus. And what Peter does is he writes a letter, and this is a cyclical letter to various churches that was read throughout all of Asia Minor. And all these churches that he wrote to, he was trying to tell them how to live in face of all the persecution and how to live in light of all of these challenges and still be representatives of Christ, how to deal with authority, how to properly view authority, how to deal with pressures from the outside, especially when you are in the world, but you're not necessarily of the world. He helps them to navigate those things. So we're going to walk through 1 Peter for the next few weeks as we believe this is going to help us grow to walk through the challenging times that you and I find ourselves in as well. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start off there, and we're just going to kind of take it a little bit at a time. So we're not going to get too far ahead. We're not going to try to get through the whole chapter today. 1 Peter chapter 1, this greeting is just unbelievable. Like we could just camp out in these first two verses of 1 Peter. They're so powerful. So 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. And hang on just a second, because I kid you not, like we could hang out here and do a whole series just on those two verses. They're so potent and so powerful, because one of the first things that he says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So he's writing this to a group of people who are what the Scripture and what in their day and age would call Gentiles. In other words, they're not Jews. So they're writing to people who um, didn't grow up necessarily in this culture of understanding who God was and didn't grow up understanding a lot of the history of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the great things that God had done. And, and they didn't grow up going through the rituals and the sacrifices and going to the temple and the synagogues. This was foreign to them. They were outsiders. And so this letter was written to these 
these people because the difference now is that these outsiders have now been brought into the family of God because of Jesus Christ. Those who were once alienated, those who were once outside of this now have the opportunity to be a part of something, and he calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, you must understand the weight of this phrase and what it would have meant to the original hearers. When he says you're elect exiles of the dispersion, that word, I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, it's capitalized, the capital D, dispersion. The reason that it's capitalized is that he's talking about the scattering of the Jews and this great event of the Jews being scattered, and this is an important event. He's basically telling these Greek uh, people from Asia Minor who have been Gentiles, who have been out of the family of God, he's telling them all of these things that happened to the Jews as they were part of this great dispersion you're a part of that too. This would have been a weighty statement to those who received this letter because here you've got Peter. And I don't know if you know a whole lot about Peter's history, but he wasn't a big fan at one point in his life of hanging out with people who were non-Jewish and feeling just as okay with them as he did with his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. Because And actually, the Apostle Paul confronted Peter over this and dealt with him about this. And he's, Paul says, I confronted Peter to his face over this issue because he wasn't wanting to eat with the Gentiles. He only wanted to hang out with the Jewish Christians. So for Peter to get to this place where he's now saying something this weighty to this many churches, he's saying, you guys are elect exiles of the dispersion. You guys are a part of the family. You're in. He's including them the same way that the Jewish people would have felt and understood being included. But then he says, elect exiles. They are elect. They are chosen by God. God in His foreknowledge, He, he knew them. He, 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 he elected them. And so you've got these elected exiles, exile, someone who's a stranger, someone who is cut off, someone who is not a part. So you have these, the, these people that God knew, but yet they're outside. So what is he saying here? There's a tension in that statement. God knows you. You're a part of his family. You're a part of the dispersion, but you're also exile. So there's this, there's this tension that exists here because in God's kingdom, you are elect, but in the kingdom of this world, you're exiled. And that's what Peter was trying to tell them, and I believe that's still relevant to you and I today because we're living in this world, but we're not of this world because we belong to God. We are a part of His family. We were on the outside, but now we have been brought in by His great grace. And because we have been recipients of His great grace and we're now a part of the family of God, we still exist here, and we've got to figure this out. We've got to learn how to navigate here, and that's what we're all trying to do, and that's what we're trying to grow in. We want to be good representatives of Christ, but we must remember that no matter how good or bad things go in this life and in this world, that we are, as Paul says, of another kingdom. This world is not our home. This is not our final destination. You and I our children of God. We're a part of the family of God, but we are here in this world, as Peter says to his audience, as exiles. Being elect, being a part of God's family is the source of your blessing. Amen, church? 
It is the source of your blessing. And we need to praise God and thank God for His great grace being shown in our lives that we are now brought in. We were, we were once strangers. We were once enemies of God, as Paul says in Romans 5. But now we have been brought in. We have been grafted in. We who were on the outside, now we're a part of this family, but as much of a blessing as it is to be a part of that, being an exile is also the greatest source of our burden. And so, yes, we have the blessing, but there's also a burden that is attached to it that you and I have to navigate and deal with in this life, and that is the fact that we're exiled, because we're living our lives by a different value system, or we should be, amen? Our lives should be producing fruit of the gospel at work on the inside of our lives. The, the, this, this message of sanctification and growing in Christ's likeness we should be growing. We should be producing fruit or evidence of the Spirit of God living on the inside of us in the middle of turmoil, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of all of this pressure. <clears throat> and so we need to understand that, yes, we are blessed. We are a part of God's family, but yet there also is this burden that we also face. And so let's unpack these first two verses here, because we see something else happening after he says that you are elect exiles of the dispersion. He talks about all the different cities in Asia Minor there where um, he's addressing this to. And he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Did you see what just happened there? In just that little statement, you see the Trinity. You see God the Father. You see God the Son, God the Spirit. You see them all at work in the middle of this short statement. God already knew what was going to happen. So he's trying to tell them, listen, guys, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. But what you're going through is not a surprise to God. God's not going, oh, no, coronavirus. What are we going to do? God's not going, oh, no, persecution. What are we going to do? God's not chewing his fingernails down to the quick. God is not nervous. God knows. God sees. He knows the end from the beginning. And then we see that we have the great comforter, the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit is right there with you, giving, uh, helping you to, to, to grow in sanctification. Sanctification is, is that continual growing and walking in Christ-likeness and, and holiness and, and learning and recognizing who you now are in Christ and letting go of the former things and embracing and holding on to the things that have been made new because of Jesus. And you're growing in that. You're renewing your mind. You're, you're becoming more mature in your faith. You're learning how to navigate this Christian life that you and I have been called to. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that, helps us to walk through this life. And any good that comes out of us is God working in us through His Spirit. And any of the gifts that we use are the Spirit actively at work on the inside of us, using us for the glory of God. And then we see something interesting that Peter says about Jesus. He says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. I had to do a lot of research on this because that phrase really struck me because we don't see the sprinkling of blood really happen anywhere else when it's concerning Jesus Christ. We don't hear about people being sprinkled with the blood of Christ because when we talk about the blood of Jesus and when we sing about the blood of Jesus, typically what we're talking about is how Jesus' blood was spilt 
on the, uh, uh, on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and how that was the payment that was made that was the atoning sacrifice for us once and for all. And we talk about, you know, we sang earlier being washed in the blood of the Lamb, but this phrase sprinkling with blood is normally not attributed to actually something that would be placed on a person, the sprinkling with blood. So it, it could mean a, a lot of things, but as I did a lot of research on this, what most Bible scholars that I was able to read and look up, what they agree upon as the most likely is actually a, a really odd reference to something in Leviticus chapter 14 where we see the ritual of the sprinkling of blood being upon a leper who was cleansed. And what would happen in the ritual of the leper being cleansed, this person had this terrible disease, but if they were cleansed and, and, and healed, the first thing they would have to do, according to Leviticus 14, is that they would have to go show themselves to the priest. Do you remember when Jesus healed the 10 lepers? What did Jesus tell them to do after he healed them? He said, go show yourself to the priest. That was Jesus following that Levitical law and, and them understanding. Because if you were a person who had leprosy, you were outside of the camp. You were outside of the family. You were outside. You weren't a part. You weren't welcome in. You had to walk around saying unclean, right, all the time. You had to let people know, I have a disease. I'm, I'm unclean. And so if you were healed or you claimed to be healed, you had to go show yourselves to the priest. And if indeed you were healed, what the priest would do is they would have you get two birds. One of them you would kill, and then you would take that bird's blood and put it in a vessel with water and blood take a hyssop branch, dip it into that mixture of water and blood, and it would be sprinkled upon you, the sprinkling of the blood. And then you would take the other bird and dip it into that same mixture, and you would allow it to fly away from the camp, thus signifying that your leprosy has been taken away from the camp and away from the people. So that was all the symbolism there. And so what these scholars that I read after agree upon is that they say it's most likely because of the context of the way that Peter is talking about sanctification from the Spirit and the obedience to Christ, he's most likely referencing this because he's saying, you have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. It's a part of your sanctification, your cleansing, because you've been welcomed back. You have been allowed back in the camp. You've been brought into the family of God. You were on the outside, but now you are on the inside. Does that make sense? And so I think that this is a weighty two verses here to this Gentile audience because Peter is basically saying, you guys were really on the outside. You were like lepers. You guys were alienated. You were cut off, but now you're a part of the dispersion. You're elect exiles. God already knew. God saw the beginning from the end, and he had Jesus Christ right in the middle of history, and he placed him in history in the right time. And now you have been a benefactor to that great grace, and because of his sacrifice, and now the Spirit is working in you, sanctification, and as you're growing in obedience to Christ, you are sprinkled with His blood. This is a heavy, weighty thing that sets up their identity and who they are, and we should recognize the weight of this and remember who we are in Christ, amen? Because we are elect exiles. There is a lot of junk happening in our world that can easily want to distract and make us forget who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. And we can get distracted doing things and involved in things and even be passionate and sincere about something that could be very well a distraction or something that is not properly representing Christ, but we think we're doing good. 
we think we're getting the song lyrics right, but in fact, we're singing them wrong. Are you understanding this morning? You getting this? I want us to make sure that we are growing in sanctification, that we are growing in holiness, that we are growing in Christ-likeness, that we are growing in our faith and in our community of faith with one another. I want us to get this because as a Christian, your first and foremost allegiance is to Jesus. It's great to pledge allegiance to the flag. I love being an American. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to put my hand over my heart. I'm going to say the pledge. I'm, I'm going to sing the national anthem. I, I love all of that. I, I, I love celebrating our troops and everything that they have sacrificed, and I'm not belittling any of that. But I am Christian first. I am Christian first, and I must not forget that because sometimes if I can muddy the two or if I can somehow misrepresent Christ in the middle of me being a patriot, I will miss my calling and my purpose because I think I'm doing something good, but there's something better God has called me to. And I don't want us to forget this. I don't want us to miss this because we are elect exiles. We are here, but we are His. We must live here. We must be present, yes, but whose we are matters, and it will influence and affect who we are and how we see ourselves in Christ. Let's keep reading. First Peter chapter, uh, 1, verse 3. Let's pick up where we left off. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." He's trying to bring weight to who they are in Christ and whose they are. He's trying to bring weight to salvation. Listen, folks, if there's anything I think that the church of Jesus Christ needs in our day and age is a fresh revelation and a healthy, fresh weight of the cost of our salvation. If I understand the cost of my salvation and I grow in understanding the weight and the great sacrifice that was paid, what is it going to generate in my heart? Gratefulness, thankfulness, worship, sacrifice. And I am going to be overwhelmed to the point that I only want to please and serve Him. So that means everything that I do here and now in the middle of chaos, in the middle of all the challenges we face, in the middle of all the pressures that I face, in the here and now, I'm going to live my life in a way that my aim and my goal is to do everything I do as unto the Lord. 
And I'm not doing it to please man. I'm not doing it so I can get the thumbs up or the pat on the back from man. I'm not doing it so I can be accepted in certain social circles. I'm doing it because everything I set my hand to, every morning I wake up, I wake up with a greater appreciation and fresh understanding and fresh revelation of what Jesus has done, and it influences and helps filter every decision I make throughout the day. It changes what I'll type on social media before I hit the send button. It changes what I will text someone even when I see something negative or something that I want to jump on and attack. It changes my conversations around the water cooler and around the coffee pot at work. It changes and influences the conversations I have with my family. It changes and influences the way that I interact with with people throughout the week because I know that people are in different places of understanding and I know that people are in different places of values and I want them to see Jesus and I want them to make sure that they're pointed to Jesus, not my opinion. Because if you want to hear someone's opinion, if you want to just listen to someone's opinion, turn on the TV because opinions are everywhere, right? And it's not my job as a pastor to get up here and to share with you my opinion because at the end of the day, if I wanted to have a public platform to share my opinion, I should have went to Hollywood because that's not my job is to try to share my opinion. What my responsibility to you is, is to pray for you and to shepherd and to teach you the Word of God so you can understand how God wants us to live our lives because He should matter more than anyone else's thoughts. Amen? He should matter more than anyone else's opinion. So what does Derek think? Who cares what Derek thinks? What does Jesus Christ say? What has He spoken on? What has He pointed us to? Let's focus on those things. And if we focus on those things, it will help us to make good decisions moving forward in our lives, and it will influence and impact us and those around us. It will help us to temper our passions. It's good to be passionate. I'm a passionate person. I love being passionate about different things, and and sometimes my passions are like, oh, hey, look, squirrel. Like, sometimes that's how my passions go. I'll get really excited, and then all of a sudden, something new and shiny, and I get really excited about that thing. And when I'm in something, buddy, let me tell you, those of you who know me, you know I'm all in. Like, that's it. Like, I'm going full force. I'm all in. That's how I'm wired. But just because I'm passionate about something doesn't make it right, doesn't mean it's healthy, doesn't mean that it's something that everyone else must also be equally as passionate about the way I'm passionate about it. And I can be led astray by my passions. Have you ever been led astray by your passions? I remember there was a season when I went through really being passionate about lifting weights and exercising. And I still exercise and I still try to maintain and, and, and be healthy, but I went through like an obsessive thing. Like, I mean, I got OCD about working out to the point to where I went into the gym and I was so sore and I had so much joint pain from all the heavy lifting I had been doing. I walked into the gym with, a, with two braces on, uh, one on either wrist, braces on my elbows, braces on my knees, brace around my back. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to lift some weights today. And the trainer that was in the gym says, why are you walking in here with all that goofy equipment on? And I said, well, because I'm sore everywhere and and I'm having joint pain, but I still need to get my workout in. And they're like, no, that's your body telling you you're taking it a little too far. 
And so I'm letting you know I have a tendency to do that. And I know that if I have a tendency to do that, you probably have a tendency to do that in certain areas of your life where something that was good, you take it just a little too far. And I want us as Christians to make sure that we're not convincing ourselves that we're doing good when we're actually doing ourselves and others harm. And we do that by remembering the gospel, by staying anchored in what Peter is talking about here. He's wanting everyone to remember. Before he gives them any encouragement about, hey, you guys, keep pressing on, keep pushing through, I know things are tough. No, he's letting them know who they are and whose they are. You are elect exiles, guys. You're a part of the dispersion, so all the junk you're facing, guess what? Welcome to the fam. That's what, that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, we've been persecuted our entire lives. We've been dealing with this as Jewish people, and now you're a part of God's chosen people. Welcome to the fam. Sometimes we get caught by the Babylonians. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes we do some dumb things. Sometimes we get, go through difficult seasons. Sometimes we make these decisions, and as a group, we, we, deal, we, we deal with these types of challenges. And, and he's saying, you're a part of all of that now. You're, you're in the family. So as we rejoice, we're all going to rejoice together. When we suffer, we're all going to suffer together. You're a part of the family. He's trying to let them know that, listen, this, this is part of the deal. So it, because you're a part of it, don't be caught off guard. Don't, be, don't think it's something strange, as the Apostle Paul said, when trials and challenges and difficulties and all this stuff comes your way. He's wanting them to remember who they are. He's trying to anchor them in the gospel. That's why he's telling them about what Jesus Christ did for them. He's saying, listen, you guys have been recipients of this. You have received this great grace. You are born again. You are uh, living in this hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You have an inheritance that's imperishable, he says. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, and, and you're guarded, man. God, God's watching over you through your faith and salvation, and it's going to be revealed in the last time. But listen, you need to rejoice, he said. In verse 6, rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith that's more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, I know you guys haven't seen him, but you're, you're living your lives for Him as if you did because you're trusting in Him and you're growing in Him. And as we grow in this, as we understand this, we need to learn that as we are growing in Christ, it, yes, it, it, it matters how we represent ourselves to the world, but what matters more is how you and I are stoking the fire in our own relationship with Jesus privately. Because having everything put together publicly, man, anybody can do that for a little while, right? Anybody can do that. Learn to say the right things, when not to speak, when to be quiet, when to, how to cure yourselves in certain social circles, whatnot. But it's really what we do behind the scenes. Early on, Peter said this. He said that the Spirit is helping us grow in sanctification. And then he said, to the obedience of Christ. That's key because obedience is really a private thing because I can make you think I'm doing all the right things publicly, but true obedience is a private issue. It's something that maybe you will see, maybe you won't see, but at the same time, my life that is in Christ needs to be lived out in obedience to Christ when no one is watching, because I want to be a person who's worshiping God privately, not just publicly, right? 
Anyone can lift their hands when the music plays, but what about when it's just you and Jesus? Anyone can pray when everyone else is praying together, but what about when it's just you and Jesus? Anyone can make the right, good, moral, healthy, ethical, God-honoring decision when everyone's watching, but what about in private when it's just you and Jesus? You see that obedience to Christ. I, I, I can open my Bible at church. I can pray at church, but what about in private when no one is watching? You see, my private obedience to Christ, it begins to affect and influence and come out of uh, my life publicly. And that's really what I want us to understand. This is our bottom line today, so help me preach this, hashtag this, share this. Allegiance to Jesus privately brings honor to Jesus publicly. I want to make sure my life is aligned to Christ. Amen? Yes, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, but first and foremost, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. Amen? I pledge my, my heartfelt everything in me allegiance privately. It's great to do it publicly. I love that we're all gathering together and we're all pledging our allegiance to Christ publicly. I mean, I think that's why you're here. You're gathering. You're wanting to be encouraged. You're wanting to sharpen one another, build relationships, make connections. All that's great. And it's great to do this publicly, but it's even better to do it privately because what you do privately will influence and impact what you do publicly you won't have to put on a face anymore. It can be genuine. That's what Peter said. He said that these challenges you're facing are actually testing the genuineness of your faith. It's like sending gold through a refiner's fire so all the impurities are removed. And when we pledge our allegiance to Christ privately and when we spend time with Him privately and when we obey Him privately, then these things begin to purge and purify us so that when others see our worship, when others see our devotion, when others see our obedience, when others see the, the way we navigate our lives and the way that we treat them, it comes off as genuine because it is something that God has been dealing with me and investing, I've been investing in with Him privately. I've been, I've been asking the Spirit to help lead me and guide me in all truth. I've been submitting to uh, what God is trying to work in my heart privately because any one of us can learn how to play the church game. Believe me, I've grown up in church my whole life. I know how to say it, what to say, when to say it, and how to make you think I've got it all together. But the fact is, is that if my private life is not in adherence and obedience to Jesus Christ, it will eventually catch up with me because I can only fool so many people for so long. Amen? And I want us to make sure that as we're navigating the days ahead and as we continue to go throughout this series and as we learn more of these things, that we start here. We start understanding we are elect exiles, and as elect exiles, we must take the position of being people who are devoted to Christ, devoted to each other, and devoted to growing in Christ-likeness and godliness and knowing God for who He is and allowing the gospel to, to help open the door for gratefulness, thankfulness, and the fruits of the Spirit being shown in our lives. But that happens privately in our lives for it to be passed through the fire and to be tested and shown publicly, because I know you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. That's not what we're talking about here. But we are supposed to grow in sanctification, and we grow in sanctification by aligning our lives to be obedient to Jesus when no one is looking. Amen? Amen? Like, maybe? Yeah? Okay? All right? Help me out here this morning. I want us to get this. This is very important for us to understand this, because we must 
align our lives to be obedient to Christ when no one is looking because the spotlight will be on one day and you will do the right thing to honor Jesus publicly. But you have to first serve and devote your life to Him privately because we have a blessing from God that is definitely our salvation and we're grateful for that. We need to grow in the weight of the gospel. But the burden from this world that we, that we feel is the fact that we are exiles. But guess what? You're not alone. He gives you grace. Amen? So we thank God for His grace. It helps to temper my life. It helps to temper the way that I live, the way that I value, the, the, the things I think about before I say them, the way I interact with other people, uh, the way I'm representing Christ. Because remember, church, we are ambassadors for Christ every single day. If you are listening to me teach today, either in this room, out in the commons area, or online, and you are a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ. We must remember this. We must remember that it is our job to make sure we are devoted to Christ privately, that we are pledging our allegiance to Christ privately, that we are loving Him well and being grateful and thankful for Him privately, that we are growing in obedience and sanctification privately. Because you can try to fix all the stuff that people see publicly, but you need to give your heart and your devotion and your allegiance to Him privately. The blessing is from God. The burden is from the world, but He gives us grace. Let's finish reading um, our text for the day. We're going to read verse 10 through 12. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in these things and have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels look. Peter's saying, listen, all these people who predicted Christ's suffering and Christ's coming, they, they, they realized that they were servants. In other words, they realized they weren't going to experience this thing they were talking about. This was something that they were talking about from a predictive standpoint. And they, they, they thought maybe it was for them, but then they realized, oh, this is down the road. This is in the future. So they, they didn't get to see Christ. They didn't get to, to, to witness the marvel of what He did on the cross for humanity, but they predicted it. They spoke of it. And even the angels are just in awe of the very fact that this is a reality, and, and, and they're, they're looking. They're, they're, they're intrigued by it. All of the world is overwhelmed and intrigued, and even those prophets before were, were, were just longing and, and awaiting that. And he's trying to tell his audience that received this letter, he's trying to tell them, but you experienced it. Like, but you got to experience it. These people just longed for it. These people knew they were just serving you by, by helping you to have your faith built and strengthened, knowing that, that, knowing that salvation was coming and, and knowing that God has a plan, and, and, but you're experiencing it. You're walking in it. Like even the angels are still like, whoa, ah, this is incredible that this is even an opportunity that God in His great mercy would just show Himself so favorably to these people. And he's trying to help that weight of gratefulness and thankfulness rest upon them because he knows that it's going to help them to walk through the pressures 
and the challenges that they face. I think that where we're at in the world right now, it's easy to get caught up in things you're passionate about. It's easy to get caught up in to doing things that maybe your, your emotions get stirred for, but we need to temper the way that we interact with other people. We need to make sure that we're representing Christ first, understanding we are elect exiles. Amen? So I want us to think. I want us to discern. I want us to grow, and I want us to properly represent Christ, and we're going to do that, and it starts by aligning to obedience to Christ privately because allegiance to Jesus privately brings honor to Jesus publicly. So remember who you are this election season. Remember whose you are. You represent Christ first. We are Christian first. We are American second. So honor Jesus with the way that you act, with the way you interact. And I want to give us one more text before we leave today, and that's over in Romans chapter 12. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon in my 20 years of full-time ministry without at least alluding to Romans. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, and I want you to allow this text to be the place that you go back to. Listen, I want it to be the place you go back to when you start getting a little off base. I don't want you singing the lyrics of being a follower of Jesus and people are like, yeah, you're getting it wrong. I want us to make sure we're doing this in a way that's honoring Jesus. Amen? Use this. Go back to this. Reference this. Put this in your heart with the way you treat others, the way you interact. Romans 12, verse 9. We're going to read through verse 21. This is what Paul tells the church in Rome. This is to Christians. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I believe that living in such a way honors Jesus, but for that to happen, it can't just be a list of things we try really hard to get right. It starts with us having allegiance to Christ privately. That's where the heart change really begins, is in the day-to-day, -day, how you spend time with Jesus, how you are honoring Him, how you're remembering the gospel, how you are sitting at His feet, 
how you're being stirred and how others are helping to stir you as well so that as difficulties come, as trials come, you'll remember who you are in Christ. And more importantly, you remember whose you are. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. We sang about it this morning. You were bought with the precious blood of the Lamb. So Jesus, help us do this today. We need help because we are people who have a tendency to be swayed by our emotions. We are people who have a tendency to be swayed by things that enrage us and outrage us and and make us so angry. Things that we wish we could do something about. Lord, let us be careful to temper our hearts by remembering our cause, our purpose, our aim, our goal, our focus, our allegiance. Let us be properly representing Christ in these days. Let us be more concerned with people's eternity than with making them feel like fools and us being actually the fool, thinking we're doing something right and good when we're actually getting it wrong. Help us to temper our hearts, our opinions, our our words. Help us to make sure that we are coming across with love, with grace. Help us to make sure that, Lord, we are keeping eternity in mind with every single interaction, every day, every Facebook post, every text message, every email that we forward, with every conversation we have. Help us to remember our mission and our, and our purpose, and that is to point people to Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Help us to remember, Lord, we are to be discipling people, bringing them to Jesus as evangelists, sharing the gospel, being salt and light. Help us stay true to that by remembering the weight of the cross, by remembering the weight of the gospel. Help us to stay anchored during these trying times even when we may be persecuted for our beliefs. Lord, let us make sure we're representing Christ well and let us not be fooled into thinking that we're doing good when we're not. Let us grow in sanctification. Help us to be humble throughout this whole process of this election year. Let us be people who listen very, very well and be slow to speak. And let us make sure that we remember your word and the way that we treat one another, especially those of the family of faith, because the enemy would love to cause even further division. The enemy would love to cause harm in the body of Christ and to dilute our effectiveness. Help us to stay on point and recognize the schemes of the enemy. Help us to stay on point to be containers of light, sharing the gospel. We can only do this with your help, Lord. So with your word and your spirit, let these things stick in us today. As we pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ privately, may it honor you, Jesus, publicly. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.